podcast. I am here today with Elizabeth Sabatish Wolf. I said that right? Yay! <laughs> and she just wrote this book. It's an autobiographical book, Truth With My Crime. It's just an incredible story. It is truly, I think, a warning to all, I think, all humans, absolutely. Uh, anybody who is a freedom warrior, as I like to call them, and certainly to all of America, because that they're really coming after the Bill of Rights here. And her story is definitely a testimony to people who have uh, exercised their free will and are standing up to preserve the free will of humanity. So we are incredibly grateful to have you with us here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I, I love being with you, and thanks so much for having me. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's an important story, um, uh, you know, by an Austrian, not by an American. <laughs> right. You have an Austrian speaking to, a, to an American audience, so that's something new, I think. Yeah, no, that absolutely is. I think I've only had uh, one other. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Truth With My Crime. I love this title, Thank you. right? That truth should never be a crime. So, give us you have a really interesting backstory. <laughs> so, um, before we dive into how truth became a crime, uh, let's, could you share with us a little bit of your upbringing <laughs> and how you even came to discover this truth that was a crime for you to share? Well, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to uh, give you the Reader's Digest version. Sure, yeah, because yeah. first of all, we don't have the time. Yeah. Second of all, people should read the yes, book. I agree. So here goes. Um, my dad was an Austrian diplomat. And I was born in Geneva, Switzerland. I grew up uh, in uh, New York. I went to kindergarten there. And then my father was transferred to the Austrian embassy in Tehran, in Iran. So I spent uh, a lot of my childhood in Iran prior to the revolution, but also during the revolution, the Islamic revolution. So I got to see the difference between the two countries. One, a fairly open society, fairly open. Uh, Western, almost secular, uh, and then came the revolution and all of a sudden the country was, you know, turned upside down. And I saw, uh, you know, the armies basically of black clad women, uh, chanting in the streets, uh, Magba America, which means death to America in Farsi. And it made a huge impression on me. I was, you know, six or seven years old. I was first, first and second grade. Mm. So that was my first, uh, impression of an Islam, Islamized, mm-hmm. uh, society. Um, I will, like I said, there's more yeah. detail sure, in the book. Uh, and it's a great read. <laughs> I, I, I've only read a few chapters because I just got it last night, but I, if I had had the time, I'd read the whole thing in one sitting. Yeah. Really I, I think read. you really, especially if you know me. Yeah. You know, yeah. This exactly. Is a book, People who know me or or meet me on the road, they'll be interested in reading it sure. even more than actually people who don't know me who should actually also read it, of course. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. um, my dad left Iran on the last flight out on September 22nd, uh, 1980. That's when Iraq, the Iraq, Iran-Iraq war broke out. Yeah. And in 1982, my dad was uh, transferred to the Austrian embassy in Baghdad. So my family and I spent Christmas and New Year's in Baghdad. So I saw the war from the other side. Right. And uh, I spent a lot of time at that young age studying Saddam Hussein. And, uh, you know, you, you live, you, when you actually move to a place, you live the life of the locals. Sure. And uh, that's, a, that's a difference between, you know, I've been to vac- uh, on a vacation to Morocco, so I know all about Islamic life in Morocco. No, you don't. Yeah. You have no clue because you only get a glimpse. But if you live in the country, 
uh, it's more than a glimpse. You really get to know the country. And that's what I did. And, you know, I was 12 years old at the time. And uh, so I can, I can honestly say I know what war is like. Um, so we spent New Year, Christmas Eve and New Year's in, in Baghdad. It was a completely different life because Saddam Hussein was secular. And he only pandered to uh, the the clerics if he needed them, mm-hmm. but generally he didn't care so much about religion. So it was yeah. it was different. Yeah. Um, in 1983, my dad was posted was transferred to the Austrian Consulate General in Chicago, okay. and that's where my education started. You might have uh-huh. read about it in my book. Uh, I think that was really made the difference uh, in why I'm sitting here yeah. and why I'm so uh, passionate about America mm-hmm. and what it stands for, the idea of America. Right. Uh, we all know that there's a lot wrong with the government and, uh, you know, America and its its vision for the world right now. It's not exactly, uh, you know, exciting or mm-hmm. or something that non-Americans want, mm-hmm. but the, the idea, uh, the constitution, the history, uh, it, it was, it was, it fascinated me. And why did it fascinate me? Cause I had an excellent social studies teacher in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Felix mm-hmm. taught me to live and breathe the constitution mm-hmm. when I was in eighth grade. And that made the huge difference. Very on rare me. these days. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> I was very privileged. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even if I didn't understand it back then, you know, but I was a rebellious teenager and I was <laughs> thinking, oh my God, you know, what's the point of an Austrian studying the U.S. Constitution? Of course, as a, as a 13 year old, you have no clue. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm middle aged now and I can tell you, yes, it made that changed my life. Yeah. It, uh, what you have in your DNA was sort of branded into me. I don't have it in my DNA, but maybe, you know, if I have some, something happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was diffused into me. <laughs> uh, this, this fierce passion for freedom. Yeah. And, it's not uh, freedom, oh, you know, we're free to, to watch the news or we're free to, to drive wherever we want. That's not the freedom that I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm looking for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, I'm looking for uh, the, the First Amendment, freedom mm-hmm. of speech, the way it is written in the First Amendment, yeah. not the way it is written in... Uh, the European Constitution and the European Convention on Human Rights, where you have, you know, a litany of you have freedom of speech, but you can only do it according to the local laws. And the local laws may include this, that and the other. That's not freedom that's of speech. That's <laughs> not freedom of speech. Uh, that's just a semblance of freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, that doesn't fly with me. Yeah. And. I am, I'm very different. I don't really, with, with the attitude that I have about freedom, I don't really belong. Uh, I don't fit into European society at all. Right. I'm always the odd one out. Right. And, uh, I, I fit so much better here. So what I call myself I, is I, I'm a traveler between the two worlds. Right. And I try to, to explain to Europeans if they give me a chance in, in private conversations, uh, the beauty of uh, freedom according to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Yeah. And over here, I try to explain to people, look, you got to hold on to what you've got. Absolutely. Because it can really be taken away from you very, very quickly. So 
let me just uh, yeah, finish. Uh, so uh, high school, two years of high school. I graduated uh, from high school in, in Vienna because my dad was recalled to Vienna. Mm-hmm. And uh, after high school, I became a ski instructor. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, you can't really be a ski instructor in summer. So in summer of 1990... Unless you get a Whistler. In Canada. Well, yeah, yeah. And of course, you also have, you know, the, back then the glacier ski areas sure. were still very good. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're on skis from November until May without a break, yes. you really, you know, it's, it's enough. enough. Yes. It's enough. <laughs> so my dad said to me, well, do you, do you want a summer job at the Austrian embassy in Kuwait? I said, sure, I got nothing, el- uh, nothing else to do. You know, I'll go there. Why not? Yeah, so uh, as a 19-year-old, I went to, to Kuwait and, um, and stamped visas wow. all day. Okay. And uh, on August 2nd, 1990, I woke up and I was in the middle of another war. Wow. Saddam Hussein had invaded yeah. Kuwait and there were helicopters hovering above me and there were tanks in the streets and I was uh, on my own. I was my, didn't have my parents with me. Um, I did have the Austrian community and the embassy taking care of me, but uh, I can tell you as a 19-year-old, uh, you know, you do need some some strength. And it wasn't easy, I can tell you that, but it made me, made me grow. It made me, you know, grow up very quickly, very fast. I imagine uh, so. Won't go into the details again. Yes. Uh, there's, the uh, there's a whole diary that I kept uh, that's in the book. Uh, to tell you what happened to me in Kuwait and how I got out and, and you know, whatever. What I will tell you is I, I suffered from PTSD that was never treated. Nobody recognized it. Nobody mm. treated it. Back then it wasn't a thing in right. Austria. Um, I somewhat got over it because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. Uh, so fast forward, uh, I stopped skiing and uh, got a totally boring job at an investment bank, and I found out that investment banking uh, in the dairy industry of Bulgaria is not my thing. (laughs) You probably, you you can relate, right? uh, You can imagine that's not really what I was made to 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 do. do, It was boring. (laughs) Yeah. So what I needed to do is uh, get out quickly and uh, luck was on my side. I was offered a job at uh, in the cabinet of the Austrian vice chancellor at the time. I was okay. assistant to an ambassador in charge of, you wouldn't believe it, European Union Affairs. The person who would oh. be, you know. I, right. Yeah. I am so critical of the European <laughs> sure. Union. But that's where, you know, I that's was put. Uh, so I worked uh, for about two and a half years in the center of government. Wow. Um, and, and for the foreign minister who, okay. uh, who was later, uh, a different guy than I started working with. And I learned all about Austria and the, you know, system of government in Austria. I, you know, I soaked it up. I lived it because mm-hmm. I was right smack in the center of it all. It was right. very exciting. You know, I, I told you before, you know, I'm a political animal and I became a political animal because of the Ollie North hearings mm-hmm. in, in 1987. Right. And so I could now live my life as a political animal. It was fascinating. I loved it. I but um, in 1996, late 1996, I saw a job, job opening at the Austrian embassy in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have to go back. Oh. So I went back in 97, went back to my old job, visa section, 
Mm-hmm. Loved it. Okay. Loved it. Yes, yes. I had a very good time. I was 25 years old. Right. I had a great time. Really did. Yeah. Um, met interesting people. Met interesting people. Yeah. Just had fun. Yeah. You know, about in, in Kuwait, unlike other places I've been to, which I might get into later, uh, Kuwait was a place where you used to, despite it being a very strict Islamic society, uh, it did allow uh, space for non-Muslims to have fun. Okay. And that was good. Yes. And that that I did. I had fun. <laughs> I really did. Um, but it also changed my life in dramatic ways. Okay. Um, not only did I meet my husband in Kuwait, who mm-hmm. uh, was working as a peacekeeper um, between in the in the DMZ between Iraq and Kuwait, uh, Austrian citizen, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also found out that about Islam. By reading, uh, my job was re- to read the local English language newspapers okay. with the whopping number of two every oh. morning. <laughs> and they both reported the same thing. The Amir did this, the Crown Prince did that, and, you know, boring stuff. Right. But one morning I read in that newspaper that the Islamic prophet Muhammad married Aisha, his wife, at the age of six and consummated the marriage at the Mm -hmm. age of nine. And reading that would really change my life. I wouldn't be sitting here with you had I not read that. Right. So I got up from my, from my office, ran out, ran to, to, uh, the visa section where my close friend, uh, Hussein was sitting, our translator and Mm -hmm. interpreter. And I, 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 you know, waved the newspaper and I said, Hussein, Hussein, I just read about Muhammad and Aisha. Is that true? That's horrible. That's disgusting. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, you know, he and I were really close friends. Yeah. And so I was surprised to see his face uh, contort with anger and hatred. And he looked at me and hissed, don't you ever, ever talk about this again. And I said, Hussein, why? Mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't people talk about this? Yeah. And he said, it's, I will never forget it. I, I, when I say it to you, when I repeat those words, I see him standing in front of me and he said, religions are good, people are bad. And now this conversation is over. Wow. What, is, what does one do with this right. situation? Well, I did the smart thing in hindsight. I turned around and went back to my office, and I never repeated anything. I never touched it again, nothing. Mm -hmm. Had I done that, I might have been deported. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know back then. And even my diplomatic passport wouldn't have saved me. So it was really good that I kept my mouth quiet. And uh, to make a long story short, in 2000, um, like I said, I met my husband, got married right away. And as he was still in medical school, I said, well, I would like to do another tour with, uh, with the diplomatic service. So I decided to go to Libya. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, uh, it's only an hour and a half uh, fl- uh, flight from Vienna. So right. he could, my husband could, uh, you know, travel back and forth. He could sure. basically commute right. uh, from medical school. Um, the the salary was really high because okay. you know Libya is what we call a real a crappy country and ca- crappy countries will 
get you a good salary, unlike a posting, I don't know, in, you know, London or Paris or Madrid or anything. That's, that's nothing special, Mm -hmm. but Kuwait or Riyadh or uh, Libya or places people just don't want to go to is where they have higher salaries. Mm -hmm. So that was my reasoning. Apart from the fact that Libya historically is a really interesting country Mm -hmm. because it has Leptis Magna and Sabrata and you have all these um, excavations, Mm -hmm. wonderful Roman uh, excavations. So that's another reason I wanted to go there. Turned out uh, it was a big mistake. Um, I I touch on it briefly in the book. It's not really important, but living conditions there were horrible. And uh, the conditions in the embassy were horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, there was infighting. People were bored stiff. And when people Uh, are bored stiff, you probably know that, you know, they get stupid ideas. Yes. And they turn on each other. Yes. <laughs> and I was the new girl. If you don't have, it's a, what is it, risk homeostasis, if there aren't problems, the people will create them? Yeah. Exactly. And that's what they did. And I, it was very conven- I was very convenient here. Mm-hmm. And I was a scapegoat. And they made my life uh, hell. So um, apart from being in Kuwait, uh, in Libya, I'm sorry, in, on September 11th, 2001, uh, which is another place I didn't want to be, on that date, sure. Um, I then left uh, Libya and started my married life with my husband in Vienna in two, late 2001. And then, and now comes the interesting part. Okay. Finished my degree, uh, had my daughter, 2004, and then I completely disappeared, only to reappear when a book appeared in my life. Mm. And that was called The Misery of Islam, written by an Indian atheist by the name of Yahya Gopal. And I devoured that book. That was in 2006 on the island of Majorca in Spain. Uh, okay. Devoured the book. We'll never forget. We'll never, ever forget uh, that I read this book because it really changed my perspective. And what's so special about the book is it's written by an Indian atheist using only Islamic sources. Mm. So none of this Western, uh, you know. Projection onto. Not, none of that. Yeah. Solely from Islamic sources. And what I read scared me. Yeah. Because I finally understood Islam. I finally understood what I saw, what I experienced, what I uh, witnessed, what I, um, I finally understood the Aisha and Muhammad uh, situation with, uh, our interpreter it opened my eyes. Yeah. And for the first and only time in my life, I was scared. Why? Because I didn't know what to do about it. I saw the whole situation. I saw how since the Bosnian war, Europe had changed because of the influx of, uh, Bosnian Muslim refugees, especially mm-hmm. into Austria. I saw more and more headscarves in the street and I just, it was, it, Europe was so, slowly becoming Islamized, even yeah. back then. Sure. I mean, which was nothing compared to what, what, what is, it is now. Exactly. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I have a little girl, and I don't want what is happening to Muslim girls to happen to my own girl. Mm-hmm. And I don't want uh, my own girl to experience what devout Muslims do devout Muslims mm-hmm. do 
to non-Muslims, Muslim girls. So that's what got me scared and it got me going. I I started uh, talking about it. Uh, Back then, blog talk radio was Mm -hmm. still a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very new. So I connected with some uh, blog talk radio uh, people in the U.S., they were happy about my English, so I could report about what's going on, report mm-hmm. what's going on in, in, in uh, Europe. Uh, then Americans started contacting me for more information. Mm-hmm. And so my, my career yeah. took off. Sure. At the same time, an Austrian party, political party called the Freedom Party, uh, also uh, contacted me and they wanted me to give seminars. Mm-hmm. on Islam mm-hmm. and uh, Islamization in Europe and what Islam is to Europe and to European society, what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, people needed a lot of education. People had no clue, just like I didn't have a clue. Sure. And so I got started. I, uh, I was commissioned to do that, uh, and this is important. Mm-hmm. I produced a fully sourced PowerPoint presentation, 12 hours, so three hours. times four hours oh, wow. uh-huh. uh, on Islam, its teachings, and uh, you know what it does to European society. It uh, you know it drew more and more people over the course of uh, two years, mm-hmm. and in late two thousand, well, it must have happened in the summer of two thousand nine. Um, it, the seminar was surreptitiously in, infiltrated by a young journalist, a girl, mm-hmm. and uh, she had a transcript made and then sent it to the public prosecutor's office. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then what happened from there? Uh, the charge was hate speech, and my life was turned upside down. Right. My, some of my family turned away from me. Not my husband, not my daughter, of course, but, you know. No, 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 no. My, my husband is fully supportive. Uh, but my mom, of course, had had real trouble uh, with her daughter being in the crosshairs of uh, the judicial system. Sure. And others, you know, their, their reaction was, well, if you hadn't said anything, nothing, nothing would have happened. Wow. Wow, there's so much in that. Thank you for sharing all of that. I I wanted to address you were talking about, you know, like freedom being in our, our DNA. And I actually really do believe that there is a gene. There's a the DRD4 with the seventh allele. Um, and it's a risk-taking gene. Mm-hmm. So I have this theory, and I suspect you have it, um, but I do have this theory that, you know, uh, we, Americans tend to have a, I think they're being bred out, but intentionally by design, yes. but I do think they have a larger percentage of it because our founding fathers, our ancestors, are mm-hmm. people who fled and took tremendous risk in order to fight for freedom and to have and experience yep. freedom and to have it for posterity. Um, so yeah, and I think it, that you are, uh, one of those people. So definitely a kindred spirit. And, uh, I, so you, so the, it, when you say truth was my crime, you were sharing this lecture that was 12 hours long, re- revealing what the, the Islam, teachings of the Islam. teachings of Islam. Yes, correct. And so did they, as, as it pertains to non-Muslims. Right. And how it impacts them. It 
impacts and pertains. It's important because a lot of the Quran mm -hmm. uh, is about uh, the relationship of Muslims with non-Muslims. It's a lot right. of chastising. Right. A lot of, uh, I I'm, I'm want to say uh, hatred. It's probably a little less than that, but it's exacerbated by the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, mm -hmm. um, which is part of uh, Islam. It's not just the Quran. You have more, you know, you can't understand the Quran without Muhammad's sayings, which mm. is the Sunnah. Okay. And uh, no one knows how to practice Islam without the teaching. It, it doesn't tell you in the Quran uh, how to practice Islam. Oh, interesting. You, you don't get that, no. Right. How to practice Islam is, you know, in Quran 33, 21, it says you have in Muhammad the perfect example for all mankind. So then we go to, we turn to the Sunnah, which is, again, the ways and teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, and that's where we learn how uh, to be a good Muslim. It doesn't tell you that in the Quran. How interesting. And that is, that is exactly why I saw the problem with Muhammad marrying a six-year-old and consummating the marriage when she was nine. Because this is what Muhammad did. And at the same time, right away, the devout Muslim has to emulate the way of Muhammad. And that's how you get the child marriages. Wow. Yes. And that is, uh, that is something, to us, it's abhorrent. Sure. But to the devout Muslim uh, community, that's not abhorrent at all. That's, that's the way it should be. So when we, are, when we in the West are, I think, very arrogantly demanding a reform of Islam, uh, the reform of Islam is already happening, and that mm. is to return to the teachings to the original teachings. Okay. And that means bad news for us non-Muslims. That's what's happening. That is the reawakening. Mm. That is the reform of Islam. The reform of Islam uh, that we're, we in the West are demanding is very arrogant. Mm -hmm. It's actually wrong to demand something of a religion that is not ours. Of course. Because we have no say in it. Mm -hmm. But in any case, again, it is happening. It's right. taking place. What you're seeing in Israel uh, right now with Hamas attacking uh, uh, Israel's Israelis, mm -hmm. but also non-Muslims, mm -hmm. is exactly 100% what Muhammad did. They are the true Muslims. They are following the teachings of Muhammad to the letter. And what, what is it that they say? Uh, I mean, obviously, don't go through all of it, but mm. you know, what, what would you say are some highlights of what they say should be done to non-Muslims? Well, exactly what they're doing. The raping, the killing, the enslaving, mm -hmm. um, the destruction. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is classic warfare that you will find mm -hmm. in, uh, in the tribe of... Uh, What is it? The Quraysh, I think. But don't, you know, don't, sure. you know, please, our viewers, if you know it better, I think you will. But I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's the Quraysh okay. tribe okay. that was annihilated by the army of Muhammad. And that's exactly uh, what, they're, what they're doing, the Hamas fighters. This is, this is a religious war being fought according to Muhammad's... Uh, I don't want to call it wishes, but mm -hmm. his example. Mm -hmm. And the Quran 33, 21, read it. Mm -hmm. My friends watching, mm -hmm. 
look at your Quran, 3321, you have in Muhammad uh, the, pe- best, the perfect example for all mankind. And that's where it goes back. And that's what the, that's, you return to, the, to scripture mm-hmm. as intended by, by Allah and his prophet. And that's what you're seeing played out right now by Hamas. They're not, in their eyes, they're not, we have to start thinking the way they do. Right. In their eyes, they're doing a godly thing. Sure. It's not evil. Mm -hmm. It's godly. Right. And dying in the way of Allah will guarantee them a place in paradise. Mm -hmm. I completely understand their way of thinking. Do I condone it? Absolutely not. Of course not. Right. But to their thinking, they're doing God's work, mm-hmm. Allah, not God, Allah's work. Right. And unless we in the West, we non-Muslims start to understand the scripture, we will never be able to solve this conflict. We, we won't. There is no, to, forget the two-state solution. Forget, mm-hmm. uh, you know, handing over Gaza to, to Hamas or to the Palestinians. It's not going to work. We have to go back to scripture, to their scripture. To, to understand where they're coming from yes. and what their belief system yes. is. Um, and that's what I learned from living in these countries, right. from studying the Quran and doing these uh, lectures. Sure. And that's what I understand from standing trial, which I did. Right. Um, I, want, I want to get back to that, mm-hmm. but before we do, you had mentioned the two-party uh, you know, two state would not work. What, what do you think, that, do you have any thoughts on what, this, I, I know it's a loaded question, <laughs> um, but what, what are your thoughts on what might be a solution? Do you have well, um, my, my thoughts, I don't want to say them out loud because they're sure. too terrible to contemplate. Okay. Um, but uh, look at uh, Islamic history. And by looking at Islamic history, that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. And Islamic history teaches us that the army, Muhammad's army, annihilated, enslaved, or killed every single, or converted mm-hmm. every single one of the Jews. Do we want that to happen? I don't no. think so. No. So a two-state solution is something that will never work. It's, uh, it's like hoping for the unicorn to appear. Um, it's the easy way out. Mm-hmm. But it will really cause us problems. And if we look uh, at the past, let's just look back when, when Israel handed over Gaza. Mm-hmm. They have a piece of land now. Mm. What did they do with it? They did exactly what Muhammad did. Mm-hmm. When he, they're following Muhammad's example. And that should st- we really should start heeding his, Muhammad's words. Mm-hmm. Because... They're following in his footsteps, and it's a godly thing to do. So uh, the two-state solution, as, as uh, unicornly as it might sound, it's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to work. It's not feasible. It's a guarantee for more war. So um, there is no solution unless our politicians, those in charge, finally realize that there is so much more to this, and they should really start reading Steve Coughlin's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catastrophic Failure. Yeah. That is a standard. That is actually, uh, this is the manual to understand what's going on. Um, if you read my book, you should also have in your hand 
uh, uh, Steve Coggins' book, Catastrophic Failure. Yeah. It's a big one. It's a it monster. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's well worth the read, and you will understand yeah. everything you need to know about Islam once you've read the book. Yeah. Oh, I, I highly agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I highly agree. Um, so you, did they, they, they came after you for mm-hmm. sharing the truth and revealing Well, they the came after that. me for 12 hours. Right. Of, so is it uh, the, that, that was my question. That so was is it the, the whole thing? Exactly. They, they put didn't me on trial. something nope. specific. They just nope. said this whole entire 12 exactly. hours. Yes. Wow. And especially notable sentences that I uttered like, uh, we do not want theocracy. We want a democracy. We want women's rights. We want equal rights under the law. That was all actionable. That was mm-hmm. all in the papers. I was accused, accused of saying that. They were indiscriminate. They, they put the whole thing on the table. 12 hours of testimony, wow. basically. So they, they were just, uh, shooting and hoping that something would stick. Right. And uh, so I went to, the, to trial for the first time in November of 2010, and it was bizarre. It was scary. Sure. I was grilled, but thank God I knew what I was talking about. I wasn't right. pretending. You know, I'm not a fraud. I know exactly what I'm saying. I, I know my, my uh, Islamic law. I know the Quran. I know, I, you know, well, I knew more than the judge did. Right. But she grilled me. Um, uh, she didn't believe a word I said, obviously, but she grilled me. Mm-hmm. And uh, my lawyer then asked for the uh, tapes to be uh, played, the recorded right. tapes. And so we painfully had to listen to them for two hours, uh, for uh, thirty minutes. And then my judge interrupted and said, uh, "My judge, my lawyer interrupted and said, okay, that's it. That's it. It's, I think it's very clear that there was no hate speech. So mm-hmm. I think we can put that aside.'" And he looked uh, to my judge, and the judge, a lady, unfortunately, uh, said, yes, uh, it seems like there's no hate speech. And I was already thinking, okay, we can now pack up and leave. Uh, No, she said, but I am adding a new charge, which is possible under Austrian law. Mm -hmm. I'm now adding a new charge, which is denigration of religious teachings, of a legally recognized religion in Austria. Islam, uh, uh, along with uh, all denominations of Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jehovah's Witnesses, there's a long list, is a legally recognized religion in Austria. For more detail, uh, Mm -hmm. you will find the historical background in the book in a separate essay uh, in the back. Okay. Uh, it's a very interesting because it dates back all the way to uh, the 18th century under Emperor Joseph II. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has to do with, um, I think it's the freedom for Jews to practice freely. Okay. And I think also, uh, I haven't, you know, it, this is so complicated. That's why I put the essay in there. Sure. Um, it also has to do with the Protestants, I think. Okay. But they were granted recognition under the law. Wow. So that's what Islam also is. Sure. So Islam is a legally recognized religion. And I knew then that, you know, that was it. I, the, I would be found guilty. There was no way to get out of that. And so it was. And now you're probably going to wonder what was the actionable. Yeah, what really, of course. What was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. It probably won't surprise you that it was actually this, uh, a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. 
where I discussed Muhammad and right. Aisha. Yes. And I said, it was, again, a rhetorical question. I know that under Austrian law, uh, well, it's actually case law, you're not allowed to say Muhammad was a pedophile. I strongly disagree with it, but it's Austrian law. You can't say it. Right. You can't say it. I can't say it. You will be taken to court if you say it. And so during uh, the lectures, when I was discussing Muhammad's behavior, I said, what do we call this behavior mm-hmm. if not pedophilia? Mm-hmm. And the judge per- on purpose misunderstood me. Mm-hmm. I was actually asking for another word. Right. Like, I, I can't use this one, but exactly. so what can I say? <laughs> exactly. Yes. And she said, she actually put words in my mouth right. by saying she said Muhammad was a pedophile, but she used different words. Mm-hmm. So that was especially, I mean, she, she probably had the order to convict me. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what she did. She, uh, she argued that Muhammad couldn't have been a pedophile because he was married to Aisha until he was, his death, i.e. until she was 18. So he couldn't have been a pedophile. So, uh-huh. while well, she was a child, he's no, married yep, to her, yep, but yep, yep, therefore yep. He's, she's not. Correct. Yeah, wrap that head up. But it gets crazier. Yeah. So um, I was uh, fined uh, 120-day fines, which amounted to 480 euros. And you're going to think, oh, that's not a big deal. I have to explain it every time. I lost my job right away, of course. Mm-hmm. haven't held one since. Um, and... Because I didn't, I don't hold a job. I got the minimum day fine, which is four euros or four dollars. Mm-hmm. And had I held a job, the day fine might have been a hundred euros or one hundred and fifty euros. Right. And if you multiply one hundred and twenty day fines by one hundred and fifty, yes. okay, it's not four hundred eighty. No, it's a lot more. So one hundred and twenty day fines was one third of the maximum sentence for a first time offender. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we appealed. My my lawyer and I appealed. And a year later, uh, the judges, of course, um, upheld the conviction. Uh, This time arguing, while it is a historical fact, I didn't know that judges were in charge of historical facts, but let's leave that aside. (laughs) Um, that Aisha, that Muhammad married Aisha at the age of six and consummated the marriage when she was nine. Calling it pedophilia, whatever I called it, is an excess of opinion. Right. Okay? Excessive opinion. You're not allowed to have excessive opinions. No. No. Yes. So that all boils down to no freedom of speech. Yeah, of course. And really, it's no freedom of thought. You can't have an opinion. No. And I can't have deep thoughts and, and think about the, the consequences of, uh, you know, exactly what I did. Yeah. 3321. What does it mean today? Mm-hmm, right. You see? You can't think. You, they're, they're preventing me from thinking. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's, that's a travesty. It's egregious. It's, yes. it's wrong. Uh, it's a great way to enslave and control people. See? Yes. Yeah. And it didn't work with me, as you can tell, because yes. otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here. Yes. So we appealed again. We appealed again all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. We went through every possible instance, mm-hmm. court uh, that, we, that we were able to. Uh, 
everything was struck down, of course. And that paved the way for me to go to the European Court of Human Rights, okay. which is not a court of the European Union. Right. It is the court of the Council of Europe, okay. which includes Euro Europe, but it also includes freedom-loving countries like Tajikistan and Azerbaijan okay. and other stands. Wow. So the Council of Europe area is, includes some of the former Soviet republics. Right. Okay. And the, uh, the European Court of Human Rights, uh, until then was known to be very much in favor of free speech. Their case law and mm -hmm. their, uh, yeah, up until my case was very much pro freedom of speech, but no, it took them six years to decide on my case. Yeah. And exactly, almost to the day, five years ago, they decided that my right to free speech weighs less than a Muslim's right not to be offended. Unbelievable. That was the final verdict, which I appealed one more time, and that was struck down, and that means it's over. There's absolutely nothing I can do anymore, and uh, that's it. And this was, if you could do a Google search... It was uh, almost one to 100% certainty the last time anyone ever spoke about Muhammad's sexual preferences uh, in Islam. Wow. I mean, people have criticized Islam since. Sure. But no one has ever uh, spoken about... No, particular nobody, point. No. Really, really so uh, tragic, but also so fascinating in light of what's going on geopolitically um, and culturally. Because when you look at what they're exporting, you know, uh, really, uh, in our country, the yes, United States too. is exporting, you know, we have on top of all these embassies, the trans flags yes. now, um, and, you know, there's all these uh, LBGTQ, quote-unquote, rights that they're But advocating. also pedophilia well, is the, now. Yes, that's exactly where they're, I, yeah, and I see? think that that is uh, because they're masters of a Fabian socialist incrementalism, and I think that it is paving the way to, uh, you know, normalize that, pedophilia. That's, maybe that's the reason why they had to silence me. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's what I'm I, thinking. I, well, I think it's also, uh, and I, you know, this is really just speculation, but from what I know of... Uh, you know, like Quigley's work, and I was telling you, Ion Ratu mm -hmm. last night, there there was a huge movement by uh, the parasite class, I call them. <laughs> uh, the powers that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But there was a huge movement to Islamify uh, Europe, uh, particularly, you know, uh, Great Britain, and a lot, and to create uh, dialectical tensions between the, Correct. you know, uh, the West and Palestine, mm -hmm. and of course, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Israelis and uh, Palestine, and a lot, and they, some of them really did favor Palestinian. And I think that part of it is because they, they, what they argued, what of their own words, was that because it would uh, be easier for them to uh, abet this agenda of an internationalist world order. And I, I think I can see from your story, there are many reasons why that might be the case. One, because uh, you really have no uh, freedom of speech. They can advocate this whole, uh, you know, hate speech under the guise of offending. Uh, but then, of course, and even hurting just, feelings. And, right. Yes. Yes. We have to protect feelings. Feelings are no longer, you know, feelings supersede facts. Uh, it, it sounds that and way. That's, yeah. That's a huge problem. That's what you see also happening in the United States. Yeah. 
that, you know, yep. with, with COVID, we saw that a lot with COVID, um, that changed um, a lot in the United States. And it, it worried me because all of a sudden I saw these uh, defeated uh, people sitting in their cars alone, mm. wearing their masks. Yep. This is not the country that I've come to respect, admire, uh, love. Right. Uh, this is this. I think there there was there must have been some powers that be that wanted the defeat of the ordinary American mm-hmm. um, to 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 lose their hope in in the freedoms granted not by the government or someone earthly, right? But Freedoms by that are creator. exactly that's what the Bill of Rights is predicated. Upon. Yes, but everything is now shifting to a human class of people, yeah. and they're not being held accountable. And uh, you know, this is this is something that I witnessed uh, from over in Europe when I wasn't allowed to travel right. you know, under the travel ban because, of course, you know, I, I could have been contagious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I was, I, well, they, I was I, I think they were really afraid of your re- rebellious spirit being contagious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That <laughs> might just be That, that was the yeah. virus they didn't want. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, we talked about this, uh, last night, you yeah. know, you tell, you tell people or people are told to walk one way and you can be certain I'll walk the other way. Right. Because right. that's exactly what I do. Yeah. You know, I'm not a sheep. I don't yeah. follow the rest of the group. I'm yeah. the black sheep that stands over there and I'll watch the other people, fall, the other sheep fall off the cliff. Yes. I'll be sad about it. I'll be depressed. And, right. and it, it, you know, my heart aches for all these people who were duped into believing the COVID narrative. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time. And the BLM, it sounds, the is same. Your story yeah. sounds so similar. Yes. 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 It just, you know, it took it from one uh, yep. belief system to another. Yes. And you have these false gods popping yes. up in, in the guise of BLM and mm-hmm. DEI and, um, you it's know. Pervasive Gnosticism, in my opinion. Yes. Yep. And that's what we're seeing. And, you know, of course, Europe is a godless society. Right. There is no God in the Constitution, in any Constitution as far as I know. But the European Union Constitution, God was specifically removed Mm -hmm. from the Constitution. So now you have a godless society. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't have a cornerstone. We don't have values. Yeah. um, And not only that, but it is a stepping stone. And, uh, you know, Adam Bischoff actually talked about this in the Illuminati when he wrote Mm -hmm. his uh, Illuminati Mm -hmm. Manifesto. He Mm -hmm. talked about how... Part of the reason why they uh, accepted deist was because that was a stepping stone. This is not a dig or derogatory yeah. towards deists. You know, there are wonderful deists. Just like there are wonderful Muslims who, you know, they, people are... Well, that's not the yeah. point here. Uh, no. But the, but the reason I bring it up is because they said that deism was a stepping stone to atheism, which was a stepping stone to the esoteric dark occults. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't necessarily use that exact terminology, but that is what they were saying. Yeah. And, you know, people often, I personally, what I've witnessed, and I used to think, you know, secularism was the problem, but I, what I've really witnessed is actually they want to point to the atheist as the boogeyman to really be a decoy to avert any attention to what are these, you know, Gnostic or perhaps satanic, you know, kinds of uh, Mm -hmm. religious uh, organizations and entities doing. Because, as you said, these false gods are propping up everywhere. Yeah. And in often cases, they are actually very, uh, you know, more esoteric, darker, 
uh, you know, some could call them Satan, Satanist or Luciferian groups because, uh, or belief systems because they are worshiping things that run counter to the Judeo-Christian value system. Yep. And that's where I don't belong. That's why I don't fit. That's why you have to fight me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm accused of hate. Mm -hmm. And even the Catholic bishops back in 2010 uh, wrote an article. I mean, they took the time to write an article about me. Me. I'm so unimportant. I'm just a housewife in Austria. Uh, to write. But you're no dangerous. One, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. No one. They. To quote them, no one should be talking about Islam the way Mrs. Sabatich Wolf speaks about Islam. Excuse me? Did you, do you know what I said? Right. Do you actually, did you actually listen to what yeah. I said? Were you present at the lecture? Right. You know. And you, just to clarify for the audience, you were sharing their own teachings. Exactly. You were not making a judgment call. No, you were not. No. You know, interpreting, you were sharing and revealing what it is that they teach. Full, again, fully And encouraging sourced. other people to read their yes, teachings. Yes, that's what I, that's what I told them. And then, of course, then at the end of the, of the lecture, I, I showed them, look, this is, this is what we want. We want the beauty of arts. We want Judeo-Christian mm -hmm. values. Uh, we want a, a, a democratic society. Mm -hmm. That's what we call for. I didn't say, Ban Muslims, ban right. Islam, right. ban the Quran. Right. I didn't call for any of that. You see, I said, mm -hmm. you know, we are a Judeo-Christian society in mm -hmm. Europe and in Austria, and that's what I want to preserve. Right. I've lived under Islamic law. I've lived in Muslim countries. I've decided for myself that's not how I want to live, and I think I should be able to make that call yeah. and decide for myself that's not what, how I want to live. Right. And so it, it was just, it's, it's still mind boggling, uh, that, that this happened, uh, even though, you know, many have followed since many types of, of, you know, I'm not the only one having been accused of hate speech. Sure. I'm, I'm, uh, one of many. Yeah. Um, but what makes my case, uh, special and different is that I argued all the way to the, to the European Court of Human Rights. Yeah. So no one else has done that. that. Yep. Well, I was able to do it. I really have to add that for our uh, viewers. Yeah. Without the generosity of the American people who supported me financially yeah. and donated uh, to uh, to my legal fund, mm -hmm. I would not have been able to do that. Again, right. I lost my job right away. I had no means of income. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was me standing there, but I had an army of supporters yes. behind me. They, they had my back and they supported me. It was American, ordinary Americans who chipped in right. to, to keep me afloat and to, to, uh, to take me all the way to the European Court of Human Rights. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have happened without Americans. So thank wow. you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. It, I did it for you more than I did it for myself because mm. contrary to what you might think, I'm actually a person who doesn't want the limelight. I was mm -hmm. thrust into the limelight. Right. It's my job now. Yeah. Uh, but it's not really what I, it's not what I was looking for. 
Right. Understandable. Well, I'm grateful that you make that sacrifice. And uh, I, you know, I, my, my pin tweet is I, I use a beekeeper analogy and mm-hmm. I say that, uh, because when America falls, so the world follows. And I feel that it is incumbent upon Americans to preserve the free will of humanity. And I will, uh, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I'm here to support you and to stand by mm-hmm. your side. And I suppose it needs a, an Austrian <laughs> with a passion for freedom to t- yeah. to remind Americans. Yeah, that it's remember you still you still have the freedom to defend freedom to fight for freedom. Yeah, Things so. are dire here. I'm yeah. not going to um, minimize the threat. I'm, yeah. I'm going to tell you as it is. It's a your your uh, values, your freedoms are under fire from your own uh, government, from yep. your own president. But while in, and from the parasite who's class who's pulling their strings, I would whatever argue, that but, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, who, I mean, whoever whoever actually walks the, sure. the current president, and yes. you know, he's just a puppet. We of know course. that. Yes, uh, but it's you still have it. Yes. You still have this freedom. It's still need to it's still it in. Defend it. You need to exercise and defend it. But you also need to be aware that many, many people are uh, from all ar- around the world are looking to America. Yes, you are still, you know, you're this that is our last. Responsibility. You Bastard have a responsibility yeah. because after America, there's no place to go. And remember one thing: while freedom is under freedom of speech is under fire in in the U.S. and it's now become actually ground zero for the fight about uh, you know lo- uh, free speech. Yeah. It's unbelievable to even fathom that. But here in the U.S., the worst thing, and it's bad enough, that can happen to you is that you're canceled. Right. Which is bad enough. I'm not trying yeah, to minimize yeah. it. No, it is. But at least not yet. Yeah. You're not going to jail for free speech offenses. Right. Yet. Yes. It will happen if you're not, if you're complacent. Right. If you're you not have vigilant. to be very vigilant. Yes. Um, yes, uh, January 6th uh, is is frightening. Yes. Uh, those people languishing a... in jail. Uh, but again, apart from the January 6th persecution. They're using it as an example. It, they're using it to yeah, fight against yes, it. Yep. Yes. And people will have to make sacrifices. Yeah. And it's going to be, you know, as I, I like to say in my in my speeches here in the U.S., you know, it's going to have to be David versus Goliath again. Yes. And that's, yes. that's what it is. And I have not seen uh, the American people wave that fl- white flag yet. You're still waving red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm here. That's why I come to the U.S. Uh, twice a year mm-hmm. uh, to remind Americans that you still have that freedom yes. that we do not have in Europe. And yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I would just add that I think that if people were to really, truly exercise their freedom, you can disagree with, you know, another person's belief system, values. Uh, you may not like the words, but right, what did Voltaire say? I don't, I may not like yeah. what you have to say, but I defend your right to say it. And that is the beauty of genuine, authentic freedom of speech yes. is that we can That's how you this. test it. Yes. If, are you a free speech warrior? Yep. Let's put it to the test. Right. You know, that's, I feel very, uh, uncomfortable with the calls to ban pro Hamas demonstrations. Yeah. 
I feel very uncomfortable uh, to, with the the banning of pro-Palestinian demonstrations. Yep, I agree. I don't like what they're saying. Of course. <laughs> I completely disagree. Mm-hmm. But as long as they're peaceful yep. uh, demonstrations, if they're, they might be loud, I don't care. That's their right. But I feel very uncomfortable uh, uh, about banning You know, there are calls, for instance, in the Netherlands by Geert Wilders. He's also always called uh, to ban the Koran. No. Right. no. No, I disagree. Yeah. I strongly disagree. Yeah. I also disagree banning, uh, like, uh, the banning of Mein Kampf in Austria and in Germany. Yeah. It's banned. No. We should be able to read it. Yes. Don't tell me what I can and cannot read. And how would you even know that you don't like something, you disagree see? with something, if you can't see and read the words, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Do not ban books because that doesn't, you know, if we start banning books as we do, what what differentiates, differentiates us from the Nazis uh, that burn, who burn books? Exactly. What's the difference? So no, you know, let books be published and yes. let's, let's talk about those books. Exactly. You yeah. know, like I said, you know, my, my book, it lays out the case mm-hmm. of who I am, why yes. I say things that I say, and you can, you can come at, let's have a discussion. You disagree with me? Let's talk about yes. it. And please, let's talk about it on equal footing. Don't come to me and tell me, well, Islam is just a monotheistic religion and we all believe in the same God. I'm not going to talk about that because that's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's incorrect. It's false. And you do your due diligence yeah. and read about, read up about Islam. And then let's talk about it because I won't talk about, uh, you know, I don't pretend to be the tiger woods of, uh, of golf. Because I've never <laughs> right. held a golf yeah. club. I have no idea, but I don't pretend to. So you want to talk to me about the, the intricacies of, of golfing? I'm going to say sorry. Right. Sorry, Courtney. You know, I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I'm not going to discuss it. I yeah. would make a fool of myself. So please read my book yes. and disagree with me. Yeah. I am not the one uh, to say, I'm not going to say everything I say is true mm-hmm. because I'm on a quest to find the truth yes i don't purport purport to say i am the truth because Mm -hmm. the only person the only well the only one to be able to say that is god right yeah i'm not god i don't pretend to be god (laughs) that's not why i'm here i'm here to help readers your viewers go out there educate yourself and then find the truth find your path to truth Absolutely. Listen to me. People should listen to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might disagree. Why yeah. not? That, yeah. That's what makes life fun, isn't it? It is. And how, how else can we learn? How yeah. can we actually develop yeah. critical thinking yes. if, we don't, if we're not presented with it, yes. uh, information that may be contrary to what's comfortable or familiar? Exactly. And, you know, I can tell you my own journey. Uh, I used to be indifferent to, uh, the, uh, to the concept of abortion. Mm-hmm. I was indifferent. I didn't care either way. Right. Well, that's changed. I can tell you that. Yeah. It's changed. And it's changed dramatically. I've looked into it. I've listened to people. I'm, I, again, I'm not, a, I'm not in the, uh, the, the anti-abortion uh, mm-hmm. you know, group or, or lobby. Mm-hmm. I just have my view that I think sure. it's, it's wrong. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, that's been a journey yeah, from indifference course. to now sure. saying abortion is 99.9% of the times wrong. 
it's evil and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, that's, that's how I say, but I'm not an expert. Right. You know, I defer to people who do this, you know, 24 seven, sure. just like I expect people to recognize and respect the fact that I've done my due diligence yeah. on Islam and what it does to European society or Western Judeo-Christian societies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we, you, I've taken plenty of your time. I'm so grateful. Thank you. You're very I'm welcome. I'm so grateful for all that you're Thank doing. Thank you for having me. Yes. And I highly recommend you get her book. Where can people find you? Where can they get your book? Uh, they can find me uh, on, uh, uh, I have a website called the uh, truth, what, not the truth. It's important. It's called truthwasmycrime.com. It has additional essays in on the website, Great. and it also takes you to a link that will take you straight to Amazon. And it also, if you want to uh, get in touch with me, there's also a way to contact me. Wonderful. Yes. Well, again, I'm so grateful for all the work you're doing. I'm so grateful for your rebellious warrior <laughs> spirit, yes. um, and really for the example that you are setting because. For me, it really feels like this is a warning. It is a warning for freedom-loving people all over the world, but especially in the United States of America, to stand up. Do not take freedom for granted, particularly freedom of speech, because that is where we do get freedom of thought. It is really through the ability to express our ideas and our, our, our thoughts and have conversations, have discourse, be able to disagree and it is so incredibly valuable, and I think it really is tantamount to what it means to be human. We yes. are endowed with free will, yes. and that should never be stripped from us because I, I know they want to bring about you know, the next iteration, Human 2.0, but uh, I, I would like to derail those plans if at all possible. So, Well, I can tell you right now, I'll <laughs> skip that crisis. We can go on to the next one. I, I love okay. that, yeah. Uh, not part of that, and uh, let me tell you one re- last rebellious streak of mine. Yeah. I never once wore a mask. I, I, I am so once, envious, yes. <laughs> not once. Yes, amazing. I have never, I've never even put it on my mouth. I've never even tried it. Yeah. I will not do that. And if you know, if you get to know me in the book, I can't because it's women who have to cover up and have to cover their faces. Yeah. I can't be a women's, a women's rights activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and wear a mask. It just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very straightforward about yeah. that. So no mask for me. I'd rather stay home. Uh, and, you know, again, next crisis, please. <laughs> I love that. And, uh, you know, they have actually, I was arguing with so many people in 2020 about people were telling me that masks don't do harm. You know, what's the big deal? And it was so obvious, you know, from the onset that, of course, they do harm. But they have actually proven that it does have a a neurological impact. uh, And it does, it strips your critical thinking abilities. It actually changes your your brain. Oh, of course. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean if that you're covered up, saying. if your face is well, covered. Well, I'm, I'm hearing impaired. I learned how to speak by reading lips. You can't, you can't so, do that. So, no. yeah, you know, I didn't get hearing aids until I was almost six years old. So I, I depend very heavily on that. Um, but, yeah, it, it has a bit. And everybody, you know, even subconsciously, everyone oh, reads lips. Of course. Everybody. And they you don't even have to be. You don't have to be hearing impaired. No. If you take They're away my glasses, sure. I can't hear you anymore. I know. And people yeah. don't understand that. Oh, yeah. If I can't, we all do it subconsciously. Absolutely. So people need to know that, too. Another reason to say no to masks. Yes. 
Yes, I, I like this. Can we just skip all the crises? Just next, next. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Fast forward. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Next time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But thank you so much for having yes. me. And uh, please, everybody, if you're American and you love your way of life, your freedoms, you know, stand up uh, for the Constitution, preserve those values. Yeah. The Constitution is the greatest political document ever written, and it guarantees freedom. Cherish what you have. I know what it's like not to be free. Unfortunately, thank you. Thank you so much for watching. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.